Today's show is brought to you by Hassle Cattle Company. Hassle Cattle Company, that means hassle-free meat life. That's right, we brought you damn good beer, now we're delivering to you damn good beef. Hassle Cattle Company is the absolute best source for farm-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. It's also a fourth-generation cattle farm, family-owned business right out of Texas. They ship all over the U.S., and they call their beef blue-collar Wagyu because it's affordable, delicious and affordable, elites. Elite meat, but also uh, a good price, good value. New York Strip, beef bacon, Wagyu Franks, two jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy. Their Hamburger One Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Let me know. You guys, I always like when we hear back if you guys are ordering from them. So if you have ordered from them, you got their steaks, you got their burgers, whatever it is, let us know. Snap a picture and then give us a review because I'm telling you, I got a free package. Fantastic. Hassle Cattle Company, H-A-S-S-E-L-L, cattlecompany.com and use promo code DNVR10. DNVR10 for 10% off your order. That's DNVR10, 10% off. Any orders over $200, you get a free sh- you get free shipping. Check them out. Promise they won't disappoint. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Adam Mades, flying solo today for a notebook edition of the podcast. Be back tomorrow with what's hopefully a winner's lounge. Back to back, first back to back winner's lounge, knock on wood. Nuggets hopefully make it happen as they return to Ball Arena to take on the Minnesota Timberwolves for the second time in a row. Um, before we get started on today's show, it's going to be a notebook episode. Went back and rewatched the games, got a lot of notes. Hopefully, you checked out the list up on the DNVR.com already. It's already up. But also want to let you know, keeping it at 1,000 with George Carl is back. Guys, George Carl, yes, the George Carl, the one that coached the Denver Nuggets to 57 wins, coached him to the uh, Western Conference Finals in 2009, second winningest coach in Nuggets uh, franchise history. He and I have a show together, and I really enjoy it every two weeks throughout the season. Coach Carl is going to be sharing his perspective on the Denver Nuggets. And last year, I put that podcast in the DNVR Nuggets podcast feed no longer it is now just its own show because it is its own show. So you need to go over and and hit subscribe on the Keeping It 1000 podcast. I'm, I promise you guys, you do not want to miss it. George Carl, you don't have to agree with everything he says. I don't agree. And I push back. And we actually had some really good conversations about, you know, him sharing some perspective, me pushing back and making him, you know, just kind of going back and forth with it. Um, George is an interesting guy because he's, you know, as I've gotten to know him over the last four or five months or whatever it's been, you know, he likes, I think, opinionated people, and he kind of likes to go back and forth. And um, you know, he has takes certainly about what this, what is wrong with this team, where they need to go, or what's right with this team, uh, this or that. But he touches on just a whole bunch of other stuff that you wouldn't expect. One of the things he has this really great note about the importance of starting um, the the first like quarter of games and how that relates to how there's so many blowouts there's not a crowd you have to hear it it's really like he as he was talking i'm like you know what that makes a lot of sense i think he's right and it's the type of perspective you only get if you've actually been there meaning you've actually coached and you know what things affect the team and what things don't so i highly recommend it keeping it 1000 you can find it on all your podcast feeds uh really really good show it's also up on the dnvr.com if you want to if you want to check it out so getting into to the game against minnesota if you're new to the show, notebook episodes are where I go through. I, I always rewatch the game and take detailed notes um, and cut clips, and then I share those notes. So I'm just going to go in um, chronological order here as I get through these. The first thing, and this is no surprise, I think you've probably heard it from everybody that talks about the Nuggets. You've heard it from us on the post game show, but Will Barton struggling in the paint. 
You know, when I went back and rewatched the game, I thought Barton's first quarter was fine, other than he just wasn't making his shots. But it wasn't until the quarters two, three, and four that I felt like he sort of got out of control from himself. Early on, it felt like he was trying to play within himself. And early on, this Nuggets team was looking really great. Um, you know, this game had so many different like moments in it, and it, it felt like two or three different games within one that you almost kind of forget the ebbs and flows. But Denver was up 20-13 to 13 at one point in this game before Jokic picked up his fouls. Um, but but Will Barton, I thought, playing within himself, playing team basketball, he just doesn't have any burst. And it's real concerning because if Will Barton can't finish at the rim, you know, he's a good, not great three-point shooter. Sometimes he, he can be streaky. He can be reliable. I think 37% is, you know, you, you that's what you hope for for him, which is pretty good. That's reliable. But if he can't finish at the rim, then he's a pretty one-dimensional offensive player. And and the fact that you already have Gary Harris, that's an you know a zero-dimensional offensive player at the moment. You know you just can't have Barton playing like that. So I worry about his burst, and I'm really curious to see if Michael Porter is able to come back here either on Thursday or on Saturday. I'm curious to see if Denver would rest Barton for a week or just kind of see what happens, see how that goes. At least a game. He just looks like he just doesn't look 100 percent and. Um, I think Denver has to kind of come up with a plan with him. I've talked about this on Twitter, but I absolutely love Jamal Murray's post game. He's got great footwork down there. You could tell, you know, he's six foot five, which is funny because from in most places, six foot five, that's how tall I am. I consider myself a tall person. I always played in the post. Jamal Murray's six foot five. So of course he grew up at least operating out of the low post and doing some of that, um, you know, as like a middle schooler and this or that, but he's got great footwork down there. He's idolized Kobe Bryant, who was a very good post player, because Kobe Bryant idolized Michael Jordan, who was an incredible post player. So you can just tell he has good technique, and I like seeing him down there. I, my dream would be for the Nuggets, and they do this a little bit, but they've never done it a ton. It'd be great for him to sort of operate down there in an inverted offense. Jokic running point, uh, Murray running you know, some post-ups. I wouldn't mind seeing that from time to time, just because I think he's, he's capable of abusing a lot of players, especially as he puts on more muscle and more weight. I think he can get down there and, and do quite a bit. Jokic, his first foul in this game was that chicken wing that he keeps getting caught with. And this is, you know, I don't really know what to make of it because Jokic obviously has been playing in, in, you know, six seasons now. And we've seen it from time to time. I've never thought it was a problem. He gets called for it every now and then, but he's gotten called for it a handful of times. So I just wonder if it's it's something referees have picked up on him or if it's just something a little sloppy. Or maybe he's not used to his new speed. He's beating guys off the dribble so much and he's catching them with those little bows. But it's something to kind of keep an eye on. Hopefully it's, it's something he can adjust to now that he's getting called for it so much. Um, the second foul was that push in the back shortly after, and it was absolutely a killer because the Nuggets, as I mentioned, up 20-13 to 13 and rolling. We want a feel-good game. And I think this game qualifies a little bit, this last one qualifies a little bit of a feel-good game because of how dominant Jokic was, because Compazzo broke out, because of how dominant Jamal Murray was. Like, key players looked really good, and it ended up being a 15-point win. It was really like a 20-point win. But it would have really been a feel-good win if Denver would have just blown out what is a terrible team. This Minnesota team is not good. And if they, I think they were well on their way to blowing them out. I think they were actually up 20 to 11, but 20 to 13 when Jokic gets that second foul is really two fouls in a row and had to go out. And the next basically two and a half quarters were a grind. I mean, it was back and forth. They, it, right when it looked like Denver was going to, you know, open up a pretty sizable lead, they'd never look back from. That happens, and the rest is history. Uh, thankfully, Paul Millsap really saved the day with his shooting. So Denver goes. It's 20 to 13. Denver ends the quarter up 29 to 28. 
17 to 9 run for Minnesota once Jokic checked out of the game in that first quarter and all nine points were Paul Millsap threes. So Denver didn't score for half of the first quarter other than Paul Millsap draining threes. That's if there's certain little benchmarks that you look at in this game and you think okay that's concerning. One of them is Jamichael Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap combined for a bunch of threes. Compazzo hits 5 of 7. That stuff's maybe not repeatable. Jamal Murray at 36, okay, maybe not repeatable. Maybe it is. I don't know. Jamal Murray, I'm not really doubting him. But so there's certain things that happen in this game that you go, okay, it was a blowout, but man, I don't. You want to see a good process, a more balanced approach. You want to see guys like, um, you know, obviously Barton and uh, Gary Harris just score a few points just to, so you can you can feel like it's a little bit more of a, a thing you can expect from this team going forward. But. Um, that first quarter, to me, it was just so much about Jokic and him picking up those fouls. And I think it's maybe a challenge that he has for himself. Look, Jokic is is playing so well. This is the best basketball I've ever seen. They had that NBA math TPA stat, right? It's like a it's like a, a plus-minus stat. And Jokic is easily the MVP of the NBA right now, according to that metric. And by the way, I've heard from different people that do their own plus-minus metrics. I have a bunch of fans in the analytics community that have reached out and said, yeah, Jokic is right now number one in mine. It's too early to say, but Jokic is like is dominant. Guys, the, the season he's having is so crazy uh, um, right now that he really is standing out. But his challenge, so when I say his challenge, like he's passed so many of these challenges already. But one of his challenges, I think, for the season will be to avoid foul trouble. Um, and Denver just desperately needs him to, to do that. Um, over into the second quarter, I really like Jermichael Green. I, he works hard. He does his job. He had this great steal. And, and when I say he does his job, as a role player, sometimes it's not always like making shots or you know guarding your guy one-on-one. Sometimes it's just being a good role player that makes it easier on the star players. And there was a great example of this. I put it up on the list. He works hard, gets a steal, and then goes sprints as soon as the actually i think he tips the ball out somebody else grabs it so i think he's credited with the steal and then he sprints end to end on the play he did his work you get the steal a lot of guys will kind of like you know walk it up the court because they're like okay i did my job on this possession he sprints up the court somebody misses the layup i can't even remember who it was and he gets the easy putback because he ran the court so not only did he get the steal he outworked everybody to run end to end and then gets rewarded with the putback slam i just like him i think he's a winner I think he's a great role player. You know, he's played on that grit and grind team when he came in on media day uh, and spoke to the media for the first time. He was act- asked about his experience, and he talked about Memphis being the perfect place for him. Of course, he starts in San Antonio, goes over to Memphis, and he's a Memphis guy, man. Grit and grind, work hard, do your job. Uh, you're not concerned with, like, getting a ton of points or this or that. He just does the right play. And I I'm, I think we might have um, under uh, undervalued what – him not being in the lineup for those first four games meant. You know, a lot of the talk has been about the bench and the problem and how do you solve it. Well, one of the things you solve it is you bring in who is probably your number one free agent. Compazzo has the big following in Argentina, and he's a great player. Um, You know, Hartenstein, you know, whatever. But if you just looked at who has the best NBA resume of all the guys they brought in, I think you have to say it was uh, Jamichael Green. So maybe we underestimated a little bit. And when I say we, I mean myself underestimated a little bit the value of having him back. And I'm curious to see, especially as Michael Porter returns and the Nuggets operate at full strength, I'm curious to see if rotations make a little bit more sense. Because when you get down to it, Jermichael Green, in my opinion, is one of the guys that's in the playoff rotation. Like some of the guys that have been playing so far this season, not necessarily in the playoff rotation, Jermichael Green is one of them. And I think he made a a huge impact when he returned. I got to say, I'm pretty impressed with Anthony Edwards. I think he's going to be a player 
you know, I never like to judge a rookie off of like one or two interviews or this or that, but a lot of people have kind of talked about him and, and written him off, and I think unfairly, because the more you've gotten to see this guy, he seems interesting. All these rookies seem young when they come in, when they're 19 years old, especially the older. I mean, I keep getting older, and uh, these rookies coming in keep being 18, 19, 20 years old, and you look at them and you're like, man, this is like, these guys are so young and so, you know, young at heart. And I think Anthony Edwards is very much that. But when, now that I get the chance to actually see what he can do on the court, he's a heck of a pick and roll player. He's got a great body, first of all. He's like a, a thicker, stockier Dwayne Wade. He's almost built like OG Ananobi, but he's so coordinated and he's a he's just a baller, man. Like he really knows how to operate out of the pick and roll. He has little subtle tricks, good timing, good patience. Like he doesn't He's oftentimes rookies when they're running a pick and roll, especially like non-point guard, but like wing players, they get sped up at the NBA. He's just so strong. He feels very comfortable, you know, slowing the pace down, great vision, great passes. I think he's going to be a player and that's bad news for Denver because he's in the Northwest division. And you look at Carl Anthony Towns halfway through, basically, if he was to get out at his earliest opportunity, he's basically halfway through that from when he came into the league to when he would most likely leave. And you look at that and you go, okay, well, they're not very good. What's going to happen? You get a little ahead of yourself. Um, maybe that's one team down. Well, Anthony Edwards, he's young, but he looks to me like, hey, man, that might be a guy Denver has to deal with for a while. And he's a pretty good player. So um, it, it's something to, to take note of. Facundo Campazzo and Jamal Murray, that lineup – What's interesting to me about that lineup, and this is where you really have to listen to uh, Keeping It 1000 with George Carl, because we actually spent a lot of time on the Composo jamal Murray lineup and, and the duo there, because you know George Carl, if you follow him on Twitter, if you've listened to any of my shows, you know that he really wants Jamal Murray to be off ball. He loves a true point guard, and he thinks that um, you know adding a point guard to a roster, a la Chris Paul in Phoenix, can really unlock all of the players on the roster. And yes, Denver has Nikola Jokic and yes, he's averaging 12 assists leading the NBA. But I still think there is something too like and, and right now for Denver it's not a starting lineup, but it is a a lineup that maybe they I think they will experiment with more and more. Putting Faku off uh, on the ball allows him to do some of the heavy lifting of the point guard spot and allows Jamal Murray to not worry about getting people the ball, working in teammates, but just become a scorer. And I think when Jamal Murray is just a scorer, I think that's what he was in this last game, primarily a scorer, and he gets 36 points because he's so great when he zeroes in on the rim. And Monte Morris and Jamal Murray have been great together over the last two or three seasons. I think Composo and Murray can have a whole different wrinkle but be equally as effective, if not more effective, and we saw glimpses of that in this last game. And part of this is they ran Jamal Murray off screens. I put this up on the list, but Denver doesn't often run sets that have one player, these are like Golden State Warrior sets, one player running off two or three screens along the baseline or double pin downs or this or that where everybody else, it's almost like a football play where three guys are all blocking for one. And that's that's kind of how Denver ran some of those Faku Murray lineups. And as a result, Jamal Murray was absolutely cooking. So I'm encouraged by that because Compazzo, and I think Monte as well, but Compazzo may be even more comfortable running the show and being aggressive but yet allowing Murray to be a guy that gets open off ball, creates switches, and then attacks and goes to attack mode. So they did that. They also ran this really cool play for him out of horns. It's called Horns Nash, actually, after Steve Nash and the seven seconds or less stuns, where they get him on the elbow. You elbow entry to him. So imagine 
Jamal Murray catching the ball on the elbow, and then the point guard who entered it to him sets a screen with another player coming on to chase it and set us this sort of second stagger screen right at the free throw line. Jamal Murray got a three-pointer out of it because the defense went under. I just like what you can do when Murray doesn't have to have the ball up the court and doesn't have to be the first guy with it. When he gets to receive the ball or run off screens first and get it, uh, I just think it opens up his game a lot. Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. Remember, supporting our our partners is supporting us during this crazy time. We talk about the RK Special. I call it the Hot Pink IPA, our own custom blend of two delicious beers. But you can go now to the DNVR bar, which, by the way, is open for the Nuggets game tomorrow night. We just got open. We just got the okay from Jared Polis to allow. I think we get 38 total people in, of course, max socially, mass socially distanced. All of our safety precautions, uh, you know, taken care of. A very limited menu, but hey, you get to watch the Nuggets game in the company of other Nuggets fans. Um, and we, of course, serve Breckenridge Brewery at our own bar. What else would we be serving? You can get them at King Supers. You can get them at Costco. You can also get them at the Farmhouse right now. If you're looking to get out, maybe try some different foods, you can check out the Farmhouse. Uh, they've also got an ice uh, skating rink out there if you want to take the family out, do some outdoor activities in the winter bundle up, get out there. We have also the Mile High Copper Lager, the Denver Nuggets themed beer. That's right, the Denver Nuggets themed beer. Maybe we all need to slam some Mile High Copper Lagers to kind of get the mojo going. So check out Breckenridge Brewery. You guys know them. They're our favorite. They're your favorite too. And then of course, DraftKings Sportsbook. Playoffs? You want to talk about playoffs? That's right. Football playoffs start this weekend, and there's no better place to get in on all the action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. If you haven't checked out the app, there's no better time to sign up and start cashing in to celebrate. The most exciting time of the football season, DraftKings is giving you a chance to double your money. It's nice when you don't have to bet on the Broncos and sweat over losing your money and losing out on the Broncos. Now you can bet on the playoffs, which the Broncos are not there. All it takes is for one touchdown to be scored during Sunday's football games. That's right, just one. Once you opt in and place your bet, all you have to do is sit back and wait for a touchdown. While we're all excited for football, let's not forget the 21-21 basketball season has kicked off. You head to the app now, you get daily odds boosts. You can apply these to Denver Nuggets. Maybe they give you like a 20%, 50 It's always different. 50% odds boost on Jokic's assist. Boom! Book it. You know it's a safe bet. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Makes it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Uh, and it's a limited time only. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem... Call 1-800-522-4700. So we talk about Jamal Murray being off ball and how good he is, but there's one thing he doesn't do that um, that kind of drives me mad, and that is his footwork on the catch, especially when he's coming off of pin downs. And there were two examples of I have that I have up on the list, I believe two, where you could see Jokic not being prepared for what should be a catch and shoot three off of like you know, multiple screens. Now he's kind of sprinting into him. But this is what makes Steph Curry so deadly. This is what makes J.J. Redick so deadly. And not just deadly because they can make these shots, but it makes it deadly because the defenses know that they can and will take those shots if they're open, and it forces the defense to react so heavily. With Jamal Murray, defenses don't necessarily have to do that just yet. But here's the thing. I think Jamal Murray's a great shooter. 
I think he's capable of hitting the shot. He just needs to work on his footwork on the catch on these specific off-ball actions. So much of his career to date has been on-ball, and so much of his shot creation has been pick-and-roll or off-the-dribble or mid-range or whatever. But one thing that I think is really going to benefit Denver at from starting right now and going forward for hopefully for the rest of you know his tenure here in Denver will be his ability to run off multiple screens, catch, and go immediately up. For number one, if you cl- follow a shooter too closely off of – off-ball screens. They can do the Trey Young, where they stop on a dime, catch the ball, and elevate, and you, who have been like connected at the hip sprinting, end up just running them over or even just bumping them slightly, and you get three free throws. That's a huge, huge advantage, and all of your best point guards and guards and shooting guards are able to do this, and Jamal Murray doesn't, in large part because of that footwork. He like immediately is thinking to catch the ball and go into a dribble move. It's just his instincts because of how much he likes to be an off-the-dribble attacker. Well, if he can clear this up... He can, one, if players are playing him so tight, defenders are playing so tight, draw some extra shooting fouls. And if they gets caught up on a screen, it's even more deadly because then he gets open for a split second, elevates, and it gives Denver points, or it forces teams to start switching just off of a simple pin down. This happens with Steph Curry a lot. You're guarding Steph Curry. They run like two screens, a staggered screen for him. You know there's no way you can keep up, and so teams will just pre-switch, and then next thing you know, you have a favorable mismatch, and all you did was run a double pin down or something like that. So Jamal Murray, to me, this is an area he can really improve. It's just his footwork on the catch, and I have examples of this up on the DNVR for members. Of course, it's $5 a month to become a DNVR member and you get access to all of my film study breakdowns. Um, They went to that four PG lineup plus Jamichael. They used Jamichael Green up top and the Clippers have actually used him this way as well. Um, Very similar to Nikola Jokic. In fact, I think you know, obviously nobody is as talented as Jokic, and Jamichael Green had a handful of turnovers trying to hit that backdoor cut off of you know going to set a handoff guy backdoors and he tries to throw the pass. He telegraphed a few. A few too many, but, you know, nonetheless, um, I think that he's a guy that is going to, especially with second units and especially with Facundo Campazzo, I think he's going to be a real weapon because if you run pick and roll with Jermichael Green or DHOs and you get the ball to Campazzo, Campazzo knows what to do with it. He's a very good pick and roll player offensively when the ball's in his hands. And if Jermichael Green is a knockdown three-point shooter, especially above the break at the top of the key there, you just open up the paint, you draw the rim protector out, you open everything up, and you allow Campazzo to kind of cook. And I, I see... Um, Early signs of him being able to do that, those two together being able to do that in large part because of how good Jamichael Green was at operating at the top of the key. Um, Still very vulnerable to offensive rebounds and second chance points with that mini lads lineup, the four point guard lineup. Um, And Denver, it looks like they're going to stick with it. You had the option to go to Hartenstein. We talked on the uh, post game show yesterday about how that was, you know, a very deliberate choice from Malone and a loud one. I don't know that that's going to be the rotation every single night, but it was for this game, and we'll see if it is for tomorrow night's game as they play the same team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll see if Denver tries to mix something up. But anytime you're going to have P.J. Dozier at the four, as good as he is and as much as he battles, he's just going to be vulnerable to players. Jack Lehman grabbed one on him. You know, they're going to have guys that are who's not like necessarily a big guy, Jack Lehman. If you don't know, he's more of a wing player, uh, a wancho-sized player. But he was able to grab uh, rebounds over him, and Denver's just going to be so vulnerable there. So vulnerable, in fact, that it might make it so that it can't defend. I don't know. There's just so many ways that that small lineup is going to be vulnerable defensively. But Malone wants to give it more time and and kind of see how it does going forward. 
Jamal Murray is working really hard on defense. I've been impressed with him. You know, the advanced metrics I don't think have really shined for him yet on that end of the floor, but just watching him, if you compare him to where he was two seasons ago, there's no comparison. Jamal Murray has become a competitor, and to me he looks like a guy that's pretty pretty dialed in, and that includes on the defensive end. Compazzo, he started getting it going in the second quarter, though, um, really started to cook. And him and Jokic together, I talked about him and Murray together and the different things it does. Him and Jokic together is very interesting. You know, Denver has Monte Morris, high IQ player. You know, they've had some high IQ players over the years, but Jokic and Compazzo, they felt to me during those moments, and part of this was Compazzo was hitting threes. If he's not hitting those, you know, he goes five of seven. If he goes one of seven, you know, then of course that offense isn't going to look like it was humming as much as it was. But there just was a lot of plays where it felt like him, those two guys were ahead of everyone else on the court and especially the defense. And I'm really curious to see if Michael Malone tries to play Compazzo more minutes and in particular more minutes with those two. There was a crazy stat I was looking up earlier. I think Compazzo had played 20 minutes with Jokic and in those 20 minutes, they're like a plus. 26 don't quote me on this but it's more or less I mean, this is approximate and then he's played like 36 minutes without uh Jokic on the court and he's like a minus 36 so it's almost a plus one per minute he's on the court and a minus with Jokic and a minus one every minute he's on the court without Jokic now of course there's other variables oh I do have it written down here in my notes 20 minutes together plus 26 35 minutes without Jokic minus 37 so yep I was almost exactly right on one per minute in each direction I'm curious to see if Michael Malone tries that out a little bit more. And in doing so, it might be a way to stagger both starting lineups and bench lineups in a way that doesn't sacrifice the punch of the starting lineup, but lifts up and elevates that second unit. In this game, of course, they were a huge plus together. Um, and in fact, I think that's where most of these minutes come from with, with him is in this last game. And, and obviously, they were absolutely murdering it. So I would not be surprised if Denver goes back to that, especially in this upcoming game against Minnesota, but maybe even in, for many games to come. Um, Jamal Murray, man, I, whatever you want to say about him as a scorer and where he ranks, he's probably first team all he's on fire, right? When Jamal Murray gets going, like whatever his average is, I don't know. But when Jamal Murray gets going, I feel like... He, he starts to shoot 80% once he gets like three or four to go through in a row. Like two, Actually, just two or three to go through in a row. Then you know like the rest of the game he's going to be on fire. But he's also one of those guys that can hit like six, seven, eight shots in a row. We saw this in the playoffs and in crunch time and in overtime and, and in the crunched portion of a series. Not just of a game, but you know, do or die back against the wall. Game six, game seven against the... Um, against the Clippers like if he gets a couple going he just gets in such a groove and um right now I feel like this season he's getting into that groove more and more he's kind of been in it for the last three or four games I'm so curious to see I mean one of the more encouraging things that can happen in this upcoming game is Jamal Murray being as hot as he was in this game because if if he can do that two games in a row where he's over now he's already got two games in a row over 30 points if he strings together a third one I don't know if he's ever done that. I'd actually maybe that to be a good stat to look up at how many three straight 30-point regular season games he has. But if he does that tomorrow night, I think Denver fans can can feel really confident that hey, you know, he he's going to be able to maintain this level of play throughout the whole season. Jokic's third foul was in that second quarter and it was off of an elevator doors play. This is the issue with elevator doors. The guard that runs through the elevator, elevator doors, if you don't know, usually you get two bigs, you run a, a shooter between those two, two guys standing side by side, and then they close. As if they were elevator doors, there's a little gap, then they close. Well, if you don't break away from your defender as the guard running through the elevator, 
then the bigs are vulnerable to a illegal screen. And most teams will run elevator doors as the second act. Like there's some kind of initial action that sets up the elevator so that the guard has to like run around and he's not just sitting there waiting on it. Well, the way Denver ran it, Murray was standing basically under the basket for a full second. I think it's D'Angelo Russell is able to kind of like, oh, I see it. There's an elevator over there. Let me get ready to run through it. He doesn't create any separate, or he doesn't get separated from Jamal Murray at all. And this isn't really Jamal Murray's fault. I thought the design of the play a little bit um, was at fault. But you run it through Jokic, and then it was a perfect opportunity for Jokic to pick up a foul. So that one, you know, I don't really blame Jokic for the foul. The only option he had in that moment was to not run the elevator, just to not close there. Um, but, you know, players almost always just try to execute the play, and he picks up a foul. So that one was unfortunate. Ironically, the Denver Nuggets were up nine again at that moment. So they're up seven points in the first quarter, and then nine points in the second quarter, and then Jokic goes to the bench. And, of course, Minnesota is able to catch back up. Jamichael Green, I talked about him. He kept getting caught on those telegraphed backdoor passes. I think he has some good passing to him, but Denver maybe with the way teams are sagging off of him up top, especially with those mini lads lineups where they feel like they can do that. You know, some guys that maybe aren't the most reliable shooters, they feel like they can pack the paint a little. Maybe that Denver can fake some of those backdoor actions and go right into a secondary one because when I went back and watched the tape, they were sitting on Jamichael Green's backdoor passes a lot. In the third quarter... Jokic missed a few bunnies. He had like two in a row, actually, where it was like right at the rim. Shots he makes 99% of the time, not like floaters, you know, not like, oh, he's really good at these, but it's good means 65%. No, these were like like layups, you know, basically putback layups that he just missed. And he missed two of them. And I felt like that alone sort of changed the energy of the game. Now, these things happen. The ball sometimes doesn't bounce your way. But I felt like as I rewatched the game and was looking for moments of why didn't Denver pull away sooner? Well, obviously, Jokic's foul troubles in the first half, and then those two bunnies um, really made this for could have opened up the game and given Denver some momentum, and he missed them. And then he started playing conservatively. I talked about this on the postgame show, but he looked like, okay, just get out of this quarter without four fouls. Then you can go all out in the fourth quarter and dominate, which is exactly what happened. Um, Compazzo also, I, I talked about how he really seems to gel with Jamichael Green. He's starting to gel with Murray, starting to gel with Jokic. Not sure he gels in the mini lads. I don't sure he gels with Barton. Not sure he gels with Harris, but I think you can put him around some of the, maybe, maybe even Dozier, although Dozier was a part of the lineup that made the big run in the fourth, but maybe even he's a guy that you want to try to like make sure the lineups are perfect around, but he's starting to get chemistry with a lot of the key pieces. And that gives me hope that he can really find a role on this team going forward. And then finally the fourth quarter, I really love Jokic with that second unit. I've, I've talked about this. They all defer. They're all smart. But Jokic just put on a clinic. You can see it in his eye. That The beginning, the first five or six minutes of that fourth quarter were, that was Jokic in Larry Bird mode. It's funny, whenever I hear people compare Jokic to Larry Bird, whenever they get asked about it, and I'm talk, when I say people, I mean you know ESPN people. The big dogs, right? The big analysts. They'll always say, yeah, you know, Jokic is good. But the difference is he doesn't have that killer. Larry Bird was that killer. What I saw from, and they're not wrong by about that, by the way. I think Jokic likes to play the right way, whereas Larry Bird, I think, sometimes took like this like sadistic pleasure in, in destroying his opponent. Well, there was, in this fourth quarter, I thought Jokic had a little bit of that in him in a way that I don't see all the time. I see it sometimes, but I saw it in this game, and I thought it was like a, 
He walks out on the court with a different energy. He had the swagger to him of like, okay, it's go time. Watch this. I'm about to destroy. And he started pulling up. Whoever was guarding him, he hit shots and started jogging back on D before the shot ever went in. Like as soon as it left his fingertips, kind of a like, yeah, game's over, by the way. I know it looks like it's a tied game, but it, it's over. And he just had that look to him. And I'm telling you, it was as dominant a six-minute stretch as I've seen from him maybe this season and really in a long time in the regular season. He looked fantastic. Um, obviously the passing and some of the passes he made, the timing on him was like ridiculous, absurd. Jokic makes five passes per game that are probably in the top 10 or 15 passes that happen in the NBA on any given night. That's how many great passes he makes. I mean, this guy, when he's talked about best passer in the NBA, the only argument you would really make against him, in my opinion, is that there are players like James Harden, uh, LeBron James, Maybe Ben Simmons, John Wall, these types who, by and Russell Westbrook, by their athleticism and their burst, they're able to put pressure on the defense that opens up easier passes for them, and they're able to like swing, like James Harden, a really great one-handed passer. He throws it all the way to the opposite end of the court or whatever. But a lot of that is because he's able to make the defenses rotate so hard. Jokic can make them rotate hard on the block, but what happened on the elbows, of course, and at different parts of the key, but. What Jokic is able to do and see and read the court in, in short order, meaning like you have like 0.01 seconds to read the floor here, the way he's able to do that and deliver passes from all different angles, I don't think there's another player in the NBA that could do that. In other words, if you took away LeBron's athleticism and you made him play like Jokic, I don't think he could make the passes Jokic could make. But if you gave Jokic LeBron's athleticism, I think LeBron Jokic would make way better passes than LeBron does. I guess that's the best way to kind of put this. So the, I thought it was maybe a little jumping the gun two seasons ago, a season ago even, when he was in the conversation for best passer. I thought he was top five. But best, you know, I'd say, okay, Harden and, and, and LeBron, and there's some guys there I just don't know. It doesn't really make sense to compare. But now... Even in the comparison, he might just be the best passer in the NBA, guys. He he just throws so many passes that nobody else on earth makes. It's really a joy that we get to watch this dude. And then, of course, Facundo Composo just raining threes. He didn't even have follow-through on half of these. These were heat checks. And I don't, you know, some of the, like, Argentines, I've seen his numbers, guys. They're not great. You know, especially recently, they're not great three-point percentage numbers over at Real Madrid. But I get these people from Argentina that are very defensive of him, and I get it. I mean, he's their guy. It's This is no knock on them. They're saying, hey, you said he's not a shooter. He is a shooter. Well, his reputation is that he's a up-and-down shooter. And his well, TB, TBD on that, by the way. But boy, did he shoot him as if he was Steph Curry in this game because some of them were like, yeah, set, follow through, knock it down. But as he got going, he was just throwing them up there like he was just goofing off and they were nothing but net. So who knows, man? Facundo Campazzo, the 40% three-point shooter. Okay, that guy is going to be like in the playoff rotation. He's going to be a big piece of this team and he's going to elevate them. So who knows? I'm excited to find out that aspect of his game. MSU Denver Online. Guys, time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturn is an education allowing you to adapt into varying careers. Go and build your toolbox at MSU. MSU Denver puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members took classes over there last summer and got the full sense of what it is that they have to offer. Of course, one of the favorites of this show, favorite guests of the show, Dr. Travis Heath, 
is a professor over there. Lots of great qualified professors. So whether you're looking to change careers and need the relevant education, or if you just want to like improve your own life, learn about a subject you uh, always wanted to learn about, MSU Denver Online is a great opportunity. Maybe you're sitting at home and you just have extra time on your hands now because nobody can go anywhere or do any of these things. Um, you know, maybe MSU Denver is for you. So check them out. Also, want to tell you about the Colorado Raptors podcast. I don't know if you guys know this, but we at DNVR, the best Raptors coverage in all of Colorado. You may have heard us mention there's some big things happening in Colorado rugby space. We're spilling the details. DNVR is covering all things Colorado rugby and the United States. Colton Strickler, he's a diehard rugby guy, knows all about it, and he's connected. So if you are in any way a rugby guy, Colton Strickler knows everybody here in, in Colorado and with USA Rugby, keeping you up to all dates, American rugby with a DNVR rugby podcast. And you can find his written content up there as well. So support the sport of rugby by following along with the latest news on Twitter at DNVR rugby and download the DNVR rugby podcast with my guy, Colton Strickler. All right, so the last segment here, short one. Just want to talk about what I'm looking for in this game. I mean, first and foremost, I want to see who plays. You know, Composa was so good in this last game. Does he get a bump in minutes? There have been games where he has gotten a three- or four-minute stretch, and that was it. Didn't go well. Okay, you get the hook. Almost like Bull Bull or uh, Michael Porter Jr. last year. Doesn't work out. Okay, we're out. We're going somewhere else tonight. You know, Minnesota... Probably didn't game plan. First of all, Minnesota has a lot of issues to, to work on. But they probably didn't game plan for the thing that ended up costing them the game, which was Facundo Campazzo. They probably will. This is the interesting thing about playing a back-to-back. -back. Both coaches are now looking to make little adjustments and taking note of what it is that they struggled with. On the flip side, Michael Malone might look at this and say, hey, this Minnesota team I think we can beat. We need to figure out where Composo fits into this whole equation. Do we try to play him a little bit more early on with Jokic? Do we change the rotation? You know, Jokic got in foul trouble, and I don't know if that's why the rotation went the way that it did in this game, and that's why he played so many minutes with Composo, or if he was that was the plan all along. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I would be disappointed if Jokic and Composo didn't share the court more tomorrow. I'd be disappointed if Murray and Composo didn't share the court more tomorrow. So I'm looking at that. I also want to see just how many minutes Barton and Harris play and how they play. You know, Kelly Oubre was the worst shooter in the NBA cutting into tonight. Gary Harris, the second worst. Kelly Oubre went off tonight. Goes, I think, 4 or 5 or 4 of 6 from the three-point line. Finally found his stroke. You know, if Gary Harris goes 4 or 5 or 4 of 6 from the three-point line, I think Denver wins by 20 points. Whatever game that happens at almost any team, that's, that's how much of a swing his points are, in my opinion, right now. So I'd love to see if something like that happens with either Barton or Gary Harris. I think it could have a huge momentum change for this Denver Nuggets team. But if not, if they go out there, if Gary Harris 0 of 3 from the three-point line in the first quarter in his first dent, does Michael Malone maybe throw in the towel a little bit? Like at what point does Michael Malone say, hey, we can't afford this? After all, the Nuggets are just 2 and 4. We're talking about this feel-good win. It's one in a row. The Nuggets haven't strung together back-to-back -to -back wins yet. This is their first opportunity. And if Gary Harris goes out there and just continues to not give you anything on the offensive end, maybe Denver tries to shift things up and play Monte more, uh, play Composo more, maybe even try something out with a player uh, like an R.J. Hampton or, or just something else. So I don't know, but that's one of the things that I, I've got my eye on. And then, of course, you know, Jamal Murray. Two games in a row with 30 points. I'm curious to see how he approaches this game. If he continues to try to score the basketball at, at, at a high clip the way that he has, and if he's successful doing it, I have to imagine that Minnesota is going to try to alter their game plan defensively to hone in on him a little bit more because his points were so loud. Um, and I, I'm just curious to see how Murray continues. I mean, 
I'm already a, a Murray believer, but if he puts up another 30-point night, man, I, I just I, – I'll really be banging the drum for this guy because he's been fantastic. Jokic, of course, um, you know, <laughs> Jokic should have six triple-doubles. Be Denver's only two and four, so there's other things to, to kind of like look at and more important things to maybe be frustrated by. But if Denver was, say, six and oh right now and Jokic was – Two total rebounds, one in two different games, shy of having six straight triple doubles. I might be a little irked by that. So I'm curious to see, like, you look at the DraftKings line for Jokic triple doubles and last few nights, and I've thought, you know, that's not good value. It's, you know, it's only two to one, meaning you bet like $10, you win 20 or something. And I'm like, yeah, but triple doubles, you know, I mean, he only gets like 12 a year. I'm, I'm thinking about the point now where, like, I kind of want to bet on him to get a triple-double. It's just coming so easily to him. I mean, the first quarters alone, he's getting like 6-5-5 five, and five every game. So I'm curious to see if he can keep the streak going. I'm curious for my own personal interest in seeing Jokic set his statistical line up well enough so that he is averaging a triple-double deep into the season. As it is, he's at 12 assists. Uh, 11, uh, the points and rebounds, like, come on, he's going to, he always averages a double, double points and rebounds. I, I think those numbers are going to hold the assists is the one you want to know because, you know, he's been around six, seven, maybe eight playoffs, but he, you know, 12 where he's at now is such a huge leap that if he can get through 10, 11, 12, 13 games of this season, one seventh of the season, averaging 12 or more assists, then if he just averages his normal number of assists over the next, you know, 12 games or whatever, 13, 14, 15 games, he'll be averaging a triple-double. And if you're averaging a triple-double 30 games into the season, your odds of MVP go up quite a bit. So I'm just curious for that. And then Isaiah Hartenstein, like, why was he not in the rotation? Is it matchup dependent? And does he get into it now on this second night? Paul Millsap maybe takes a night off. I don't think so. But, you know, especially with Denver playing the way that he is. But maybe that there's just an opportunity for um, – Hartenstein to try to sneak in there uh, and get some minutes. And if he does, whose minutes does he eat up? So those are the things I'm kind of looking for. I think Denver wins it. They're the better team. And I do think that there's an element with Denver where they just needed to see the ball go through the net a few times. And now that they've got one, if you get another one, uh, and then you set up Orthodox Christmas against the Dallas Mavericks on TNT. I think that it would be a you know a great opportunity for Denver to string some games together and start to feel better and better about themselves. And then of course they're two and four. You get up to three and four. I believe it'll elevate Denver all the way up into like the top eight seeds in the Western Conference. Sneakily, this season's so weird. I know Nuggets fans want to freak out. And look, two and five especially, and I don't even think the record two and five means anything, but. Two and five with a loss to this horrible Timberwolves that is missing their best player in Carl Anthony Towns. That certainly would be cause for concern. But guys, the Toronto Raptors, one and five. Brooklyn Nets, three and four. Okay, the Atlanta Hawks, who started out four and oh, are now four and three. You've got, uh, you go to the other side of the bracket, our side of the bracket, the Warriors. Worst team. Everybody's clowning on him. Is Steph Curry even good? All of a sudden, they're four and three. They figured it out. Um, Dallas Mavericks are three and four. The Houston Rockets, of course, not great. Um, so you've got these teams. Memphis, who had high expectations, two and four. I think that it's still very early to be getting too panicked about one thing or the other because there's very few teams that have looked good for the whole ten days of the season or whatever it is. But Denver, they they another win will give you a lot more confidence that hey they're on the right track. They're looking to get better. So I do think that in that regard, this game will be a big one. Can't wait to talk to you about it, guys, live after the show up on our YouTube page. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page, DNVR, because we record live and we always have fun doing so. So we'll see you guys there, hopefully from the Winner's Lounge tomorrow night. We'll talk to you then.
First, gotta tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group, the best damn family-owned dentist in all of the Denver metro area. Just in Lakewood, just a couple minutes outside the Denver metro area. And of course, it's the family-owned. They send you the postcard, they get to know you, they know your name, they take good care of you because they care about what they do as much as we care about what we do. So you go in there, you see them, and when you sign up for your first x-ray and exam, cleaning x-ray and exam, you get a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's a great, great toothbrush. You're gonna wipe. You have never uh, brushed with an electric toothbrush or a Sonicare toothbrush. It's gonna change your whole life. So check them out. Green Mountain Dental Group. Treat you like family, and that's what we like. We are here at DNVR family. Support the people that support us, guys. Green Mountain Dental Group.